Morning, church. <clears throat> the Bible reading today is taken from 1 Samuel 13, which is on page 222 of the Pew Bibles. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, <clears throat> and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as a sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you, and if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about six hundred. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with him, with them were staying in Gibeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned towards Ophrah in the vicinity of Shuel, another toward Beth Horon, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboyim, facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plough points, mattocks, axes and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plough points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thank you. Please keep your Bibles open. Well, a couple of years ago, I ran a kids' uh, ministry conference uh, for Melbourne. Uh, the purpose was to equip teachers uh, from churches around Melbourne uh, with biblical wisdom and skill to teach kids the Bible. It was a fantastic conference. We had over 20 churches come, 130 people. Uh, we served roast chicken for lunch, and it was brilliant. But that wasn't the highlight of the conference for me. One of the highlights for me was briefly catching up uh, with someone I knew uh, ever since he was a little kid. Uh, let's call him Jack. Uh, Jack was uh, in his early 20s at this conference. He was studying architecture at Melbourne University, so he's a bright kid. 
I was so encouraged to uh, have this little chat with him, not only because he was a still a committed Christian, but because he was now teaching kids' church at his own church. Uh, you see, when he was about eight years old, I was his kids' church leader. Uh, each week I'd rock up uh, to the lesson with the Bible, uh, and Jack uh, was in my class. There were six kids in my class. They were around seven or eight years old. Uh, they were a great bunch of kids. Uh, we always had heaps of fun and learned lots from the Bible, uh, but it was never easy. Uh, you see, Jack was the troublemaker. Uh, he'd always climb onto the table, uh, talk over me, muck around, disturb the class. Uh, he was the class clown. Uh, he'd always make everyone laugh, uh, including me. Uh, I just couldn't help it, and so that didn't really help. Uh, so one time I said to them, look, if you uh, continue to disrupt the class, uh, you're going to have to uh, stand up and face the wall. And so that got him listening, didn't it? Well, not at all, because immediately he stood up, walked to the wall and faced the wall and started cracking up. And then all the other kids in the class started doing the same thing. And so it disrupted the class even more. And so what did I do? Well, I just burst out laughing. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. Well, that's why I don't teach kids' church anymore. Uh, we'll end up mucking around too much. Well, what's the point of this story? The point of the story was, is this. Uh, Jack didn't do what he should have done. But he did what he shouldn't have done. Jack should have listened and quietened down, but instead he disrupted the class even more. And what we see in today's passage is something similar, but on a much grander scale. Uh, what we'll see today is that Saul, King Saul, fails to do what he should have done. And he does what he shouldn't have done. But to understand today's passage, we need to understand the context. So you might recall Samuel's two instructions to Saul after he was anointed. Uh, the first was that he is to go and attack the Philistine outpost in Gibeah. But, it, so, but even though the Spirit of God powerfully came upon him, he didn't do it. Instead of saving Israel from the Philistines, he goes and have a, has a good old yarn with his uncle about donkeys. And the question now is, as king, the, the, the kingship has been renewed with the resounding victory against the Malachites in, in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Will Saul now muster an army to fight the Philistines to fulfill his obligation to listen and to obey the word of God to fight the Philistines? The second instruction that Samuel gave Saul was this. After he attacks the Philistines, he's to go to Gilgal and wait for Samuel for seven days. And so just to remind you, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, it says this. Uh, so, so look back with me in your Bibles. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you, that is you, Saul, must wait seven days until I come to you, and I'll tell you what you are to do. So the two instructions, go fight the Philistines. After you fought the Philistines, go to Gilgal and wait for me for seven days. And then I'll tell you what you're to do. And then last week, as after Saul saves the people of Jabesh Gilead, Samuel summons all Israel to Gilgal to renew the kingship of Saul and of God. And at the heart of the message was this. Verse 14, 
chapter 12. Look at it in your Bibles. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you don't obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So Samuel tells all of Israel, including King Saul, in no uncertain terms, that he, the king, and the people of Israel must obey God. He couldn't be any clearer. And so at the end of last week's passage, we're left wondering, will they fear God? Will they obey God? Will Saul do as he's been told? There are two clear instructions. Fight the Philistines and go to Gilgal and wait for seven days. Will he obey God? And so that's the situation we find ourselves in as we open up today's passage. And as we turn to chapter 13, it begins with a summary of Saul's reign. Uh, ch- ch- chapter, one, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Now, as you expect, uh, Saul, being the newly crowned king, will muster an army. The Philistines are there. And so he'll muster an army, verse 2, Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 uh, were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Now it's not surprising that Saul, one of the first things he does as king of Israel is to muster an army. Uh, you might remember that Israel was in constant conflict uh, with their neighbours, and so uh, there was no time sitting around drinking tea. Israel must be armed and ready for battle. Uh, even though uh, Saul, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, had already dealt with the Ammonites to the east, the Philistines were still a problem and a threat to the west. And since Saul had yet attacked the Philistines in obedience to Samuel's instructions, maybe that's what he'll do next. Maybe that's why he's mustering an army. Maybe he's going to now rescue Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But is that what we see? Verse 3. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outposts at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. So so who attacked the Philistines? Well, was it Saul? No, it wasn't Saul. But it was Jonathan. And who's Jonathan? Well, we find out in verse 16, Jonathan is Saul's son. That is, it wasn't Saul, but Saul's son, who attacks the Philistines. It's, It's not Saul, but Saul's son, who leads Israel into battle. It's not Saul, but Saul's son, who delivers Israel from the hands of their enemies. And, and where was Saul? What was he doing? Well, he was back in Michmash, far away from the battlefield. And, and it's, in fact, it's possible that Saul ordered Jonathan to attack the Philistines, but as the story's been told, and as the sequence of events unfolds over the next couple of chapters, it's very unlikely. It appears that Jonathan knew what needed to be done, and so he did it. He saved God's people. And so at the very beginning of Saul's reign as king of Israel, we see that Saul doesn't do what he should have done. He doesn't obey the word of God. He doesn't lead God's people into battle. He doesn't save them from the Philistines, but instead it's his son who does it. Saul doesn't do what he's meant to do. But either way, Samuel's first instruction to Saul is now accomplished. They have attacked the Philistines and Saul must now go to Gilgal. Wait seven days. That's the second instruction. And when Samuel gets there, Samuel will 
offer the burnt offerings. Samuel will sacrifice fellowship offerings. Samuel will then tell Saul what to do. All Saul has to do is now wait seven days. That's the second instruction. And Saul remembers it. And so he summons the people to Gilgal in verse 4. But just as Saul rallies his troops for battle, so do the Philistines. Verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth Avon. Now in case you missed it, Saul had an army of 3,000 men in verse 2. But what, what, what do the Philistines have? They have 3,000 chariots. The chariots back then were like the tanks of today. And, and so Israel's not only outnumbered, they're outpowered. And so Israel goes into hiding. The Israelites go and run for their lives. Verse 6, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. The men went into hiding because they feared for their lives. They were outnumbered and outpowered. But Saul didn't, which is quite remarkable. After all, he is king. He stood his ground. He knew he had to wait at Gilgal for Samuel for seven days. But, but, but that would have been hard for him to do, wouldn't it? You've got the enemy rallying. You're outnumbered and outpowered. And so you can just imagine how desperate Saul was for Samuel to turn up. The seven days would have felt like a lifetime. He knew he had to wait for Samuel, but but most of his troops had deserted him. He knew he had to wait for seven days, but there's a huge army camped in Israel ready for battle. He knew he had to wait for instructions. But Samuel hasn't yet arrived. And so you can imagine every day uh, Saul will be looking out. Where's Samuel? He's asking his troops, have you seen Samuel? Has he arrived? Do you hear anyone coming? Does anyone know where Samuel is? The Philistines are here. They're fast approaching. We need to be ready. What do we do? Verse 8, he waited seven days. Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Now Saul must have been so desperate, it's now seven days. Samuel hasn't arrived, and more troops have departed. So in desperation, what does Samuel, Saul do? Does he keep waiting, or does he take matters into his own hands? Well, as we'll see in verse 9, he does what he shouldn't have done. Verse 9, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Offering offerings and making sacrifices was the duty of a priest and not a king. Saul does what he shouldn't have done. In his desperation, he does what he shouldn't have done. He doesn't keep waiting for Samuel, but he takes the place of a priest and offers sacrifices to God. Verse 10, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. It's still the seventh day. Samuel arrives, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Now you might remember the story of Adam and Eve after they took the forbidden fruit, and God comes wandering into the garden. What have you done? Like the voice from God to Cain after he murdered 
his brother, what have you done? And he now you have the word from the prophet of God to King Saul, what have you done? Well, Saul responds in verse 11, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And so Samuel replies to Saul in verse 13, You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Now now you might be thinking, well, Samuel is just being a bit harsh, isn't he? After all, Saul tried. He waited and waited. He was so desperate. He was so fearful. The Israelites were abandoning him. He tried to obey. He tried so hard. He waited so long. So isn't Samuel being a little harsh on him? Well, if you remember back to 1 Samuel chapter 4, when Israel was at war with the Philistines and they kept losing battle after battle after battle, what did they do? They thought, well, if we take the Ark of the Covenant with us, then surely we would win. Surely God will will, will be with us. They, they used the Ark of the Covenant like a lucky charm. And what happened? They lost. Because they treated God like superstition. They thought that the Ark of the Covenant was like a lucky charm. They thought they could twist God's arm and force him into fighting their battle for them. And in a similar way, that's what Saul's doing here. Did you notice that he wanted to have the favor of the Lord? And he thought he could receive the favor of the Lord by offering the sacrifices to God. He chose ritual, sorry. He chose ritual over obedience. And he did that because he thought that by doing rituals, he would win God's favor. But he did what he shouldn't have done. He did what he shouldn't have done, and so he was foolish. He was foolish. For disobeying the word of God. He was foolish for not waiting for Samuel to offer the sacrifices. He was foolish because he failed to trust in God and obey his word. For the Philistinian army might be a force to be reckoned with, but they're nothing compared to the mighty hand of God. And if Saul had just trusted, and if Saul had just obeyed God, his kingdom would have endured forever. But because he didn't, God will appoint another king. Verse 13, if you had, Samuel says to Saul, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him rule of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. But the cost of being foolish doesn't end there. Verse 15, Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin. That is, Samuel leaves Saul. This means the favor of God has left Saul. What Saul desperately wanted, the favor of God, he no longer has. He wanted instructions from God, but he no longer has it because Samuel has left Saul. What Saul tried to achieve in his disobedience made him lose the very thing he wanted. So there's now no word from God to Saul. 
No further instruction, no hope for him. Source left directionless and to his own devices. And if that's not enough, his army now dwindles a fifth of what it was in verse 1. Verse 15, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. From 3,000, now he has 600. And if that's not enough, source country is now littered with raiding parties in verse 17. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. And if that's not enough, Saul's army is completely disarmed. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So apart from Saul and Jonathan, no one in Saul's entire army had a sword or spear. The cost of disobedience is severe, isn't it? Saul loses everything. He loses the kingdom. It will not endure. There are raiding parties throughout all of Israel and they are defenseless to defend themselves. And it was the same with Jesus. If Jesus didn't obey God, he would have lost everything. But because he obeyed God, His kingdom will endure forever. You see, when Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, Satan came and tempted him. Satan told him to turn the stone into bread. And if Jesus obeyed, he would have lost everything. Satan told him to test God. And if Jesus obeyed, he would have lost everything. Satan told him to bow down and worship him and the whole kingdom would be his. And if Jesus obeyed, he would have lost everything. You see, against every instinct, against every evidence, against every aspect of his experience, at at that very moment, when the Philistines were amassing a greater army than his, when the Israelites were slipping away and going into hiding, when everyone was terrified and running away, Saul had to trust God and obey his word. And he didn't. And so he lost everything. But Jesus did. Jesus was obedient to God even when his friend betrayed him, even when his closest friends deserted him, even when his people rejected him, even when the passers-by hurled insults at him. Jesus was obedient to God even to death on the cross. You see, it's only through obedience that Jesus' kingdom could endure. It's only through his obedience that we can be forgiven and belong to the kingdom that endures forever. As the apostle says, Paul the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Saul disobeyed God, and he lost everything. But Jesus obeyed God and gained everything. And that's the same with you and me. Jesus says to his disciples in Mark chapter 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You see, to the world, that's foolish. Why would anyone deny themselves of worldly pleasures? Why would anyone choose to suffer and follow Jesus? It it makes no sense in the eyes of the world. But in the light of the promises of God of everlasting life, for us who are being saved, it would be foolish to disobey God and lose everything 
inter- eternal life for fleeting joy. So when we hosted a mission team a few years ago from Sydney, there were a number of people who came along, most of them in their retirement. Alec was one of them. He came on mission. He came to be with us even though he had just been discharged from hospital for surgery. He still came and drove down for the sake of the gospel. To the world, that's foolish. Marge was another person. She came on mission even though it meant missing her two-year-old grandson's birthday and her daughter and helping her move house. To the world, that's foolish. Why would you, why would you do that? Uh, Brian was another person who came on mission. I think he was in his 80s. Uh, Esther, you might remember him. Uh, he had been married for over 50 years. And never, ever had he ever been away from his wife one night. In the entire marriage, he had never been away from his wife even for one night. And yet he came on mission and spent a week with us, with his wife's full blessing, so that he might be partners with us in the gospel to run the Easter fair to spread the good news of Jesus in Campbell South. To the world, that is foolish. But for Alec, Marge, and Brian, it wasn't foolish. It was the way of them denying themselves and carrying their cross and following Jesus. For as Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Saul chose not to obey God and he lost everything. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you and me. He's saying that if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, what's the point? You'll lose everything. You can indulge in every sin and lustful desire now, but you'll lose your life. There's no point having a large bank account when you're six feet under. There's no point dying with the most toys when you can't take it with you. But if we deny ourselves and follow Jesus, if we obey God and live for his Son, then we're no fools, for we belong to the kingdom that endures forever. And so, friends, no matter how hard it is, no matter what our instincts tell us, no matter what temptations surround us, let's keep obeying God even when it's hard. Let's keep trusting in God's promises even if it makes us look like fools to this world. Let's keep waiting for God to keep his promises for Jesus will return. The king will come and take us home. Let's keep waiting for him no matter how desperate we are. For Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen.